ADP knows anything you hear, anything you don't hear, anything you kind of heard, anything you weren't supposed to hear and now have to pretend like you didn't, can change the world of work. From HR to payroll, ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to take on the next anything. Hello, welcome to Money Beat Week. This is Steve Grosser with Paul Vigna, Steve Russolo, and our special guest, Philippa Lady-Jones, who's here to explain why the markets are whipsawing around and why Europe's to blame after this. Life's full of little victories, like beating your personal best 5K time, yes. hitting platinum in hotel and airline points, or scoring a reservation at that hot new restaurant. And everyone is worth celebrating with a victory lap in your Cadillac, which is running smoothly thanks to the Cadillac Certified Service Experts. Now, here's something new to celebrate. Cadillac has just received the J.D. Power Award for highest in customer satisfaction with dealer service among luxury brands. So when it comes to dealer service, there's Cadillac and there's everyone else. For a limited time, get a $100 mail-in rebate debit card and a set of four select brand name tires. See participating U.S. Cadillac dealer for eligible tire brands and details. Rebate form must be postmarked by 11-30-14. Allow 68 weeks for delivery of debit card. Offer ends 10-31-14. For J.D. Power award information, go to jdpower.com. So, Philippa, welcome uh, across the Atlantic. Thank you. How has your time been so far? It's been wonderful. For, for our listeners, Philippa is, is, our, the, is the, yes. the Money Beat right. editor over in London, the esteemed Money Beat editor across the pond. The great, we the should great, the, the great, great yes. Philippa. Thank Jones. You. You're too kind. Um, have we have we been treating you well? Have we given you all the the great American amenities? You know, Very I well. hear she gets yeah. free bagels, free salads, free bagels. It's, it's, Twinkies, Twinkies. America's right? land of the free. They have been Philippa. looking after their British cousins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but honestly, I mean, volatility is back. Steve, you've been writing about this all week. Volatility is back in the market. I mean, it has been close to three years since we've seen, you know, a, a stretch that we saw earlier this week of nearly 300 point swing. It's exciting, baby. Yeah. You got a, you know, the Dow's down 273 on Tuesday, up 275 on Wednesday, down 335 on Thursday. Huge, huge moves. Triple digit moves are back. And Philip, I blame you. Ah, uh, thank you. I blame you. It's all it, it, it's all Europe's fault. It is fair. To, I think it's fair to point the finger. We are. It's Europe is falling out of bed. It's fair to say. It's just looking very, very ugly today, and it's kind of that thing where you know, bad news is no longer good news. It's just you know everyone's looking to the European Central Bank, and they're not really getting many answers um, anymore. And. Mario Draghi, the the European Central Bank president, who's very good at, at keeping markets sane with his words, um, seems to no longer be able to do that. It's uh, it's kind of you know the market's looking for action now, and they're not seeing much of it. So we had a yeah, European Central Bank meeting um, last week, and uh, people were looking for guidance on like you know a package of measures that he's launched to try and sort of save things before he has to launch full blown QE. And there was some detail on that, but the figures haven't been reassuring. I mean, he's he's trying to do four four year loans, and people just banks aren't really taking them out in the kind of volume they want. So he's kind of left in this position of watching the the markets, um, you know, really really kind of um, falling across the board today, and and dealing with a continent where he's still he's still dealing with arguments. He's got Germany not fully backing uh, full blown QE, so. Um, he just might, and you know, he might not be able to 
to be um, as powerful a force with his words anymore. So um, he's got two, like the two big engines of growth there. Germany and France are both in, in big trouble from what it looks like. Germany's released some dreadful figures this week. It's like manufacturing looks bad, industrial production looks bad, exports look bad, um, you know, largely because Germany exports to the Eurozone and Russia. Um, and at the same time, France is like this problem child where, you know, it's still waiting for more fiscal stimulus while everybody else is saying, well, hang on a minute. What you need to do is kind of get your budget in shape, get your economy in shape. Um, and it looks like the EU could actually reject France's budget next week. Um, and it's, you know, every, all, all fingers are pointing there. And then meanwhile, you've got... Because their deficit uh, spending is too big, right? Too big, right. And they just don't seem to have the fiscal discipline that's required of them. And, you know, they're being attacked from all sides on this. So so Germany is saying that France has got it wrong. Mario Draghi is saying France has got it wrong. The UK is... uh, The UK, which has got a lot to lose in all of this, is saying France has got it wrong. And you've got George Osborne, you know, seriously worried now, warning today about Germany being a big threat to the Eurozone, but a big threat to him too, because, you know, almost half of of the UK's exports are to the Eurozone and they're they're in a bad neighbourhood again you know it was all looking kind of okay and the UK was on the path of the recovery and now they're they're dealing with countries that you know are are too troubled to be sort of uh, fully credible export markets so um, you know, we need to watch that. We, you know, what what happens to the UK as much as what happens to the Eurozone. It doesn't look like it's a sort of cut and dried good story. Yeah. My, my question, Paul, I, I yes, guess yes, is I, to everyone. But, you know, you hear about all this stuff going on in Europe. And we've been talking about Europe's problems for years and years now. At the risk of sounding simplistic or whatnot, as a, for U.S. investors, why should anyone actually care? Well... Uh, this is why you should care. I think there are a couple of things going on broadly that we people should keep uh, keep appraised of. One is that Mario Draghi got an incredible amount of mileage out of one sentence, which is, we will do whatever it takes, which he said in July of 2012. We will do whatever it takes to save the euro and to save Europe. He said that in a speech. And that was right at a point where the markets were really crumbling. The euro crisis was worried. And he just did a, a historic job of jawboning. But he didn't have to back those words up. Now he has to back those words up. And there are serious questions about whether the ECB is really up to that task, whether they really can do it. That's one thing that's going on. The other thing that's going on is that, look – None of these economies have been great for a long time. We, we talk about the U.S. economy. The U.S. economy is not doing great. It may be doing better than Europe. It may be doing better than China, Japan, Germany, France. But it's not doing great. And the other ones are not doing great. Nobody cared as long as they thought the Fed was going to be there pumping trillions of dollars into the system. And – Nobody cared when they thought, okay, even when the Fed is going to pull back, the Bank of Japan is going to step up. The ECB is going to step up. As long as somebody, some central bank that had an un, that had access to a, a printing press was going to be there pumping liquidity into the markets because money is fungible. Money is global. It goes anywhere. As long as those things were in place, the markets didn't care about the fundamentals. I don't care what you guys tell me. They did not care. Now you have a situation where this is October, the Fed's ending QE3, we all know it. I know you're laughing at me, but I mean, now the, the Fed is pulling back and now the market is confronted with this question, 
Can the other central banks step into that breach? And they don't know the answer to that question. That's why you're seeing what you're seeing the last couple of weeks. And there's no guarantee that the ECB can can be the bank that steps in because no. it, this isn't the U.S. central bank. It is a bank that has a lot of vested interest and that has to get agreement yes. from a huge number of countries. Right. And, you know, there is a fundamental disagreement there, which is Germany doesn't believe there should be more stimulus. And, you know, while Mario Draghi says he has um, – he has a, a mandate. Uh, he has, he has yeah, a mandate yeah. to do it, and he has consensus to do it. And, right. You know, it's it, it's consensus to do something and right. like to use other tools at the disposal. But there's not uh, it's not a sort of done deal that uh, Germany will back this because right. Germany again still, you know, probably quite rightly doesn't want to be supporting the countries that can't stick to the fiscal discipline yeah. that it demands. Well, and, well, the other question I have is: Does Germany have a point? About, you know, because we've gone through this in the U.S., and I know what Paul will say. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, but does Jeremy have a point that, like, you know, uh, uh, you know, QE, the, you know, questioning whether QE and buying government bonds and things like that, the effectiveness of that in terms of stimulating the economy and getting the economies uh, going? I think it probably does in that it's not, you know, you just put these countries on a bit more life support, and what you don't want to see is a country like France, that probably could have got its its ship in order, um, being given this kind of free money and being given enough stimulus to just carry on with the bad ways. And, you know, it, it, if the Eurozone is going to work, then there needs to be some kind of consensus on how things are run, how countries run themselves. And, and Germany needs to kind of stick to its knitting here and just say, okay, this is not good enough. It's got to be, if it's going to work, then it's got to be disciplined. And I think, you know, we've seen one euro crisis and, and Germany doesn't want to see another one. It, even though Germany is in a bad way itself, it's, you know, it's, it, it realizes that the, the, the fiscal discipline still needs to be there. Now, I mean, you know, partly people say Germany may be to blame because it's, uh, you know, it's been a... The austerity. Of, right, yeah, right, right, exactly. Um, but uh, well, and, and don't know, you it's think, hard to argue with Don't it. you think also that this, this undercurrent of the Germans... You know the 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 sober austere Germans versus the you know mad hatter spend money freely other central bankers in Europe. This undercurrent has been there the whole time, but they have not been forced into this moment. They've been able to jawbone their way out of it and talk and talk and talk and talk, which is what Europeans love to do. No offense, uh, <laughs> but but now you're <laughs> listen. We love to we love to talk and talk here. Too. Oh, yeah, I was going to um, say. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but but th- these very deep divisions that exist in European circles have been there the entire time, but they they've kind of politely danced around. Well, them. I'm not sure if they've and, been politely. Yeah, that's I mean, true. That's I mean, true. Look at right, Greece right, and right, their reaction yeah, right, to yeah. Germany. But well, my 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 point is just that you know these questions have been there for a long time, but now they are really coming to the point where they have to answer them. I think you've just underlined the problem with the eurozone. I mean, that's just you know, it's this kind of collection of countries that do have very, very different cultures yeah. and you try yeah. and make a single economy out of it and you're bound to run into trouble. And remember but what Mario I, Draghi said is like he will do whatever it takes to save the Eurozone. He didn't say, and by the way, I thereby guarantee it's unending growth and you right, know, right. I can guarantee that this economy is going to fix quickly. And he's still saying that, you know, he's he's expecting growth, but he keeps pushing those forecasts out and he's you know, it's 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 not looking like it's gonna get healthy anytime soon. I thought it was amazing his speech today. He uh 
it seemed to me basically he was saying, I have absolutely no reason to believe that there's going to be growth next year, but there's going to be growth next year. Exactly. And you just it, was, keep, it was kind of stunning. Just keeps pushing it. Right. right? Because, right. because he can. And that's really all he can say. Because yeah. what else can he say? He can't say, I'll do whatever it takes because he doesn't really have Germany's mandate to do that. Yeah. He can't say, I've launched, uh, I've launched a whole load of measures in June and these are going to work and these are going to save the markets. Because on the current evidence, they're not being used as actively as he wants them to be. The last TLTRO, these four-year loans, the uptake was like, you know, nowhere near what it really should have been or that he would have wanted it to be. So um, he's – what can he do? What's left? Yeah. You know, this is the thing. What's left for Mario Draghi? Now, I too – I just we, – we give the Germans a lot of credit for being austere and pushing the – but let's let's also like take a step back. And Europe is, you know, Germany was perfectly fine in the run up to this whole crisis to have interest rates be too low, to have the country borrowing too much because it allowed them to buy. Germany's an exporting country. Germany's economy benefited. They are just as sort of culpable, or you know, maybe not just, but they are certainly culpable in what has transpired in Europe. And you know, so I mean. I do think there is there is an argument that they should be also you know looking for the way you know uh, you know to get the countries out of it because they were more than happy to take their money when it's building up. Um, the second question is you know we thought we were beyond the sort of talk of the breakup of the EU and the survival of the EU and I'm not sure how much that has sort of come up now. Um, just yet, but is that going to resurface? I mean, do do you get any sense that like people are going to be talking about you know countries exiting the EU? Yeah, I think that like you know, whereas before we were talking about a fun, a sort of um, economic fallout of the eurozone, what we're actually talking about now in Europe is a political fallout from the eurozone. So you see, right wing parties doing well across. Across the continent, UKIP in the UK has just um, got its first parliamentary seat, and you know there is, you, you see, you know, uh, conservative the the leadership parties, um, uh, politicians moving across to UKIP, and you know it is a worry because that's not just happening happening in the UK; it's happening elsewhere. You've got uh, EU referendum. If the uh, if the Conservatives win the next election next year in the UK, there will be a referendum on whether we stay on whether the UK remains part of the European Union, and you know that will just set the scene for other countries to do the same. Surely, or they'll at least be watching it closely in the same way that people watched the Scotland vote very very closely yeah. and thought, "Hang on, shall we do this as well?" Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know what's going to happen to Catalonia yet. So um, you very you really could see there are being political fallout, countries leaving the EU, and that can only be enhanced by, you know, the economy getting worse. People see this project um, looking in less than good health, and it just kind of galvanizes support. And, you know, this, this is no suggestion that the populace at large understands the kind of uh, fiscal drivers of this, but they tend to they tend to vote with their heart, and that, that's the thing. That that's, that could be a real danger point for, for the UK, at least leaving the EU. Yeah, and, and to bring the whole thing back to the question that Steve Russellillo asked me a minute ago about, you know, why should U.S. Uh, investors care about Europe? Part of this is, you know, we've been able to do – look, the U.S. economy, I'm not saying it's going to fall into recession in the immediate, you know, whatever – which I think is a, a legitimate, which I think is a legitimate concern in Europe. However, we 
I, st- I still hold that we do not fully appreciate the degree to which the Federal Reserve has held up this economy, and we are going to find out soon wh- what that degree is because they are going to start their ending QE, and they are looking at raising interest rates, and they're not going to move fast on that. They're going to move very, very slow. They may not even raise interest rates at all. Well, I mean, but they you, are going to be at- pulling back some supports. And, you know, your question, Gross, what you said about uh, Germany and the central banks, the, the issue isn't really whether or not quantitative easing or stimulus or whatever can, can aid an economy in the short term. I think it can. The question is, at what cost? We have run up a gigantic tab in this country over the last few years. The bill has not been presented to us yet. The bill is going to be presented when the Fed normalizes rates, and then we'll find out how strong this economy really, really is. And you know, some people might be surprised at the answer. <laughs> Including you. Not me, baby. I know. <laughs> it, it's funny that a lot of it has been made. We started the show talking about these two 300-point swings on the Dow here. Uh, but also, perspective is definitely warranted for some of these moves that we're seeing because yes. the Dow and S&P yes, 500 yes. are still both less than 5% from their record highs from last month. Right. So just as recently as last month, we were talking about record after record after record. We were on this podcast over and over saying the market just keeps hitting all-time highs. Right. What's next? So now it's down about 5%, give or take a little bit. And, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, my God, whoo, you know, it's not that bad. It really isn't. So that's that, that, that's the first thing right there. But, but look broadly. Look at small cap stocks. Look at commodities. Look overseas. Well, that's, that's you the know, difference. That's the, the difference. The, the Dow time. and the S&P have been relatively insulated from what's going on in the rest of the markets. How long is that going to last? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question because oh. the small cap Russell 2000 is now – down well, you know, more than ten percent from its high yeah. earlier this year, uh, and as you mentioned, oil prices are German, in a, Germany today. The DAX, yeah, the DAX getting hit hard, and oil prices. Oil's in a bear yes. market right now, right? So, yeah, I which mean, is, which is a good thing. Good for thing, m- many parts of our economy. For us. Right, right. It's great if you drive a car. No, I mean, I mean, it's one of these things. It hurts the energy sector and all that, but it, you know, a lot of the companies, and especially if you're talking about a rate rising dollar at the same time, you know, oil prices will help offset that. Will actually be a pickup to the economy and yeah. to the consumers. There are good things that come with uh, yeah. you know falling. Oil so prices. we got our. We but got, the we, other thing that needs to be, I think, you know, put into perspective too is when you get talk about the five percent, is how long we've gone without a correction of ten percent in any of the. And yeah. so even if we get hit by that. Is that a bad thing? I mean, Not at do, all. I mean, for the markets, I mean, and this is like you see like no, a lot right. of like the secular bulls talking about this and secular, you know, is we actually do need perhaps a pullback of 10 percent, 20 percent for the market then to go forward because valuations have gotten rich. They are, you know, high and the economy probably doesn't support, you know, where valuations are right now. We uh, they, we had a post on Moneybeat earlier Friday talking about how um, this guy, Daniel Widener, he's the CEO of an investment firm up in Massachusetts, was saying, you know, I can't wait for the market to pull back 10, 15% for the, from these levels. The market has just been going straight up with no volatility. As a money manager, I want to get some good companies at a discount. I want right. to get good companies at a 15% discount. It, it goes to your point, Grosser. It would not be the worst thing in the world. It might actually be a good thing if you saw the market pull back. Valuations would come down a little right. bit. Uh, and that would not be such a bad yeah, thing right, right now. The, the, the shorts have hated this market for the past few years, but the, the value guys have hated it too. Right, right. The only guys who've liked it have been the momentum guys, and right. even they have struggled a lot in 2014 yes. because the small caps and all the momentum names have been right. all over the place. Yeah. 
But the other thing, you know, is sort of interesting too is I like how this volatility is also coming right before earnings season. Yeah. And we've seen this sort of, you know, we were, we were talking about this earlier in the year. We've seen sort of this happen on a consistent basis throughout the year. Do, will, can earnings sort of come to the rescue of this market or is this market just going – are we going to have the previous pullbacks, volatility? The previous 4, 5, 6 percent pullbacks that have taken place this year have occurred in January, April, July and now October. There's a pattern to that. It's right. every three months and it's always right before earnings season. And then you get earnings season comes around and yes, analysts lower the bar. They bring down their expectations. Companies beat a low bar. We've talked about that game time and time again. But ultimately the market tends to rebound during earnings season. It's a pattern that has been on display again. A lot of people now are saying November and December are historically seasonally strong months for the market. So, you know, if all of that plays out as you think it would play out, then, you know, you're going to get a little bit more volatility in the next few weeks and then things should, should go up. Of course, markets never behave the way you think that they're yeah. going to behave. So that's the big wild I mean, card and all You know, that. A, a 10% pullback for equities at this point, grosser after where it's gone the last several years, w- would not be a bad thing. It really wouldn't. I mean, it'd be healthy. I guess the real fear is, and because, you know, this is still so recent in our memory, that the 10% becomes 20% and the 20% becomes 30% and, you know, Europe falls apart and China falls apart. And then we're, you know, the, the, the fear that sits in the back of people's heads is that the entire thing, uh, well, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not in the back of my head. <laughs> it's not in the back of my head. Uh, the fear is that the entire thing unwinds. A correction would not be a bad thing for the stock market. A, a complete unwinding where you realize that this has all just been the Fed spinning plates, that that would be t- – I'm not saying it's going to happen, folks, but that's you know, and that's actually a good segue. Thing. That's a good segue into looking at the Fed minutes this week because the Fed the, – the minutes showed that the Fed is actually pretty worried about both the rising dollar and perhaps more importantly, the weakening global yeah. economy. And that was, that was pretty shocking to some folks to see the Fed so specific about what's happening overseas. If you just think back, we talked about this, uh, I believe it was earlier, earlier this year or maybe it was last year when a lot of the emerging markets were getting hit very hard and there was all this chatter, is the Fed going to include – you know what's happening you in emerging about last markets. Summer? Maybe no, it was, no, no. It was it was and it was the beginning of this year. Beginning of this year, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a lot of chatter. Is the Fed going to talk about emerging markets? Oh, in right, there? right, right. And the Fed didn't mention anything about what was happening right, overseas. Right. And so to see them now talk about it, it's like, whoa, wait a minute. Like we yeah. all thought it was a huge deal back then, and it was. So maybe now this is actually even worse than than what a lot of people think. I mean, the difference was, you know, and I, I think the difference is. More along the lines of like those were hitting the emerging markets and not necessarily the the economy wasn't the huge right, issue. That's true. That's Whereas true. now we're yeah. looking at you know broader economic issues, the biggest yeah, yeah. The, the biggest economic zone in the world, mm-hmm. and the third biggest economic uh, you know GDP, GDP, both having significant slowdowns, and Japan, which is I think fourth in that calculation, also not in good health. That's not a good. That's not a good scenario. And China not in good health, and Ebola hitting the yeah. kind of you know the talk of Ebola hitting the the frontier in emerging markets, and you know where does that end? And that's hitting Europe as well. That is the biggest wild card, I think, in, I, in everything. I mean, it, who knows? I don't know. I don't even know where to begin on on Ebola. But I I will say that I am. I'm rather fortunate to be on Arkashin's distribution list, the UBS floor trader who I, I quote often, and he sends little midday notes. And this was just very interesting to me yesterday. Is he sent one, and he just sent a you know, 
this is what's going on right now. And one of the guys replied to it and he said, you know what I'm hearing? And he had a link to an, an Ebola story. And I mean, a lot of people started replying to that and talking about it. Yeah, and these are really like well-respected smart market insiders. Yeah. And I don't think it necessarily means that people are freaking out, but it is on people's minds. The problem is with the risks in emerging markets and frontier markets specifically are – and, you know, no one really knows. They're kind of, you know, emerging markets and frontier markets are kind of billed as this amazing success story. But actually, when you dig beneath it, what you find is there is like, you know, it's hard to invest there because the the the, the, the legal regimes are not up to Western standards. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're kind of working to get there, but they're really not there yet. The business models aren't don't always work out. Um, there are, you know, there are just big governance issues all over. And so you just throw one more thing in the works. And for for equities, at least, nobody wants to know that's the problem and then you you know you have a kind of end of end of end of easing and the kind of you know what the fed is doing and suddenly emerging markets could become a real problem again then you've got as you say you've got china europe japan emerging markets you know anywhere that you could kind of go and look for growth is is and that's the thing and that's the key thing too it's the people searching for yield and in 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 an environment where there is no yield and money flows into that and oftentimes money you know they're not realizing you know or when money then pulls out if there's a flight to safety all of a sudden you have you know and where does the money go right because the the u.s investors are pulling out of, of european equities and um, and you know, and what, where is it going? Cash. Where's, I mean, that, that where's the true yield on the treasury? Uh, look at right bond now. yields. Yeah, yeah. where's yeah. it going? Ten years around two, three. All of them. Yeah, well, yeah, no, yeah. The, all of them. The, Germany, so the France, Spain, well, Ireland, thing. Italy. I mean, Flippa, you see it all. Like, yeah. all German bond yields. Negative German bond yields. Two years negative. Yeah. Yeah, they're like multi-century lows. I mean, the numbers are just—they're astounding. We are talking about this. And I don't know if this is still the case. This is, uh, you know, a week or so ago, or more than that. Where we were just looking at the, the yields on all the government bonds for a lot of the European in uh, Japan and and the U.S. And in fact, if you go by the premise that the higher the yield, the riskier the asset, the U.S. 10-year was actually like one of the riskiest. The it still yeah. is. It's yeah. higher, higher than, than all most of those European. Most of yeah. Europe and yeah. in Japan. And uh, it's, I mean, it's pretty shocking. Yeah. And, and, you know, meanwhile, you've got France, which looks like it is floundering uh, with – with kind of ridiculously low yields. People, so so people. why are people in Europe buying those bonds at, at such low yields? I think, you know, w- one of the things is there isn't a credible equity story. Um, mm-hmm. There are, you know, people don't want to buy the ETFs. There's, you know, there's there's a massive pullout from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and there I mean, up until recently, it didn't look that bad. Remember, it was. It's, this is a kind of. Yeah, we've been talking about the eurozone in bad health as a kind of structural thing, but with those with those reassurances that it's getting better, that it's getting back to full health, that there is going to be stimulus, and now it's crunch point. I mean, the crunch point really has come probably last month or so when Germany started to look really bad mm-hmm. and France has really fallen out of bed and as we've discussed before like the ECB really looks like it doesn't have the answer and so what you might see now is that those you know there, there's questions asked about whether anybody wants to park their money anywhere in Europe um, so you might see money coming out well wow. I think I, I think that's probably a decent place to wrap up. But first, you know, because we have Philippa here, I think we should, you know, uh, have another talk about the New York Football Giants <laughs> and, and get her thoughts. 
Uh, don't prediction. Worry. I don't want to talk about the Giants. Prediction: either. Giants Eagles this Sunday. What do you think, Philippa? Giants. Say the right thing. Giants. There you go. There you go. Oh, that's a good answer. I think she's listened to the podcast before. <laughs> no clapping. <laughs> Uh, but <laughs> thanks for joining us. This has uh, been Steve Grosser with Philip Aiden Joan, Paul Avenia, and Steve Russillo. Uh, join us next week. Now, this. By 2025, it's estimated that half the world's population will lack access to safe drinking water. A sorry state of affairs as two thirds of our planet is covered by water. We are helping develop solutions for salt water to satisfy the thirst of future generations. BASF, the chemical company. This episode is brought to you by Vanta. Vanta's trust management platform helps you quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, and more. Learn how by watching Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com slash WSJ.